Hello again, fight fans, and welcome to episode 318 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are watching me live right now. And um, yeah, as you see here in the comments section, Women of the Night just commented, Happy B-Day, champ. And that's right, it is my birthday. It is officially my birthday, June 13th. 1979 is when I uh, entered this life here on this earth. So today is my 43rd birthday and um, no, no cap. And this isn't me trying to be mushy, but there's no place I'd rather be uh chiller right now than celebrating it with you guys. I think that um, this is going to be fun, man. So um, I've been getting all sorts of birthday wishes all over the place uh, on all the social media. And there's no way I'm going to be able to respond to everybody, but, I thank all of you very, very much for the happy birthday shout outs. And, um, you know, yeah, me and the wife, we did some stuff this weekend to pregame. And then we'll be going out to dinner tonight after the show, of course. Uh, she has not disclosed the location. It's a surprise. So uh, she's got reservations. We're going to go get some dinner. And then I, we are both going to New York later this week for the Baturbia versus Smith fight. So I will be in New York early Friday morning. We're actually getting like the first flight out of Atlanta Friday morning. So we're going to be dead tired, but it don't matter. We're going to have a great time. Um, so all of you guys are going to be up there. Let's do a meetup. Jimmy's corner is going to be the spot because it's right there in midtown right there. Uh, I don't know how many blocks from the garden, but it's within walking distance. And then we might do something right by the garden too. We'll talk on social, uh, whether it's you guys can get at me on Twitter, Twitter DMS, uh, if you got me on Instagram, Facebook, message me. I will try to get to as many messages as I can. And if we plan some meetups, then I will post it out there and let you guys know where we're going to be. But um, several, several of my uh, brothers in the boxing media are flying from all over the country that are going to be in New York for this fight. So I'll definitely be chilling with those guys, be catching up with several of them, which would be great, including several of my L.A. boxing crew that are going across the country they're going to be there. So, yeah, man, we're going to be celebrating all week. But uh, the big crescendo will be Saturday night at MSG. So I can't wait for that, man. <clears throat> I cannot wait. And right off the bat, we got a question here from John. He says, uh, well, more of a comment. But he just says, you know, can't call on uh, since I work every Monday. But wanted to agree with you on how great 2022 could potentially be for boxing. Potential undisputed fights by year's end at 118, 122, 135, 147, and 175, and heavyweight. Uh, yeah, uh, so we're not going to get complete undisputed in all those divisions, but we're getting damn close. So it's a good year, brother. And a bunch of you guys with the happy birthday shout-outs. Thank you so, so much. Uh, man, let's get right into this news and notes. I know a couple of you guys are already on the phones. I got a lot of stuff to cover, so I will blast through this and we'll get to the phones, all right? But for now... We need to jump into the news and notes. We've got a few things to cover. Uh, let's start with some, some sad news. And I'm sure you guys have heard about this. You saw the viral video a week ago of two African boxers. And one almost gets knocked through the ropes. It looks like he's hurt. And the other fighter was winning. The guy who was knocked almost through the ropes, he was fine. He recovered. The guy that was winning does this weird uh, almost 360 turnaround. It starts kind of shadow boxing, like punching toward the, the opposite direction. 
And the refs saw this and I thought appropriately stopped the fight to protect that fighter, even though he was winning. There was some sort of neurological thing going on there. Uh, and this, this fighter's name, he was 24 years old, by the way, Simoso Boothalezi. And he died from injuries that he suffered in the ring. Now, what we don't know, and we'll probably never know, is was it, was it related to injuries he suffered in that fight? Was it something that happened in camp? Or was it a pre-existing condition? Maybe a combination of those things? We'll never really know. But clearly, there was a neurological thing going on because he started, you guys have all seen the video, I'm sure. It went, it went viral on all the social media and stuff. But um, th this was just, you know, never seen anything quite like this. I've seen fighters respond like that after being hit and buzzed, even knocked down. We've seen fighters doing all sorts of different things, you know, all sorts of different reactions. But he, this was the 10th round of a 10-round fight in a fight that Boothalesi was winning. And this just happened to him. And, you know, my the first place I go to in my mind is, was he dehydrated? Because I've talked to you guys about this. You know, I've talked to several experts about this stuff. As it relates to serious ring injuries and ring deaths, nine times out of 10, an unnatural weight cut and or dehydration is involved. That's usually what happens because you can literally dehydrate your brain. And I know fighters that I know personally, you know, um, amateur level fighters that have had seizures and went to the, the hospital, got checked out, everything, and found out that literally their brain was dehydrated. That's how dehydrated they were. So th these sorts of things can happen. And that's where I, that's where I, my first place that I go, just, just based on the conversations I've had with the experts, I am by no means an expert, but I've spoken with many of them. And I think that's maybe what may have happened here, but just really, really sad, man. This guy was 24 years old. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. His life, his whole life ahead of him. Right. Uh, so just sad, sad news. And, you know, let's, let's all keep our thoughts with, with this young man, his family after a tragedy. And by the way, his opponent has apparently been getting harassed online and he's actually threatened to kill himself because of the harassment he has received. If you're harassing this guy who had nothing to do with this man's death, you're just an absolute piece of shit human being. I, I mean, that's, that's, that's insane. Fighters all take a risk when they get in the ring. And if you've ever talked with a fighter who's been in the ring, you know, with an opponent who died, it changes them as human beings to harass this guy, the, the opponent. And I'm sorry, I, I forget the opponent's name. I don't have it on in my notes here, but um, that's my fault. I should have prepared. I should have had that name, but him being harassed by people, man, that's, that's people are the worst online, like, like social media, Twitter and stuff. People are the worst. Sometimes I just don't understand that. Okay. Let's get to some happy news. <clears throat> um, for those of you just getting on the show, it's my birthday today. I'm 43 years old. Um, so happy birthday to me. Ha. And, um, I will be heading to New York. My wife, Tiffany and I will be heading to New York later this week for the Baturbia versus Smith fight. So any of you guys that are local to New York, or if you're traveling there for that fight, let me know, hit me up on social, whichever app you got me on, hit me up and we'll try to do some meetups. We'll try to do something Friday. And then of course, Saturday, right before the fights. Now, I'll preview the fight later in the show, obviously, but I can tell you this, the undercard isn't that impressive. So it's probably going to be one of those times where you're hanging out 
outside a little bit, uh, you know, pre-gaming during the undercard. That's probably what's going to happen. We'll find out. I just want to put that out there. All right, one last news item, and and this just kind of came up uh, today. I think it was announced today, but Anthony Joshua and his own have announced a global partnership. So AJ's been featured on the zone for a while here in the United States and the UK was a little complicated for a while. Um, and of course he's native to the UK and he's probably the most famous uh, athlete, if not the most famous entertainer in all of England right now, certainly among the top few, right? So this is a, this is a big deal for the zone for AJ to be basically exclusive on the zone across all their platforms, which is what a hundred plus now countries. And here's what's different about this deal. Apparently AJ is like a, a, a stakeholder a shareholder in the company. Now we've seen this. The zone has also done this with Gennady Golovkin through Golovkin's promotional company and triple G plans on being a promoter after he retires from boxing He's already setting that up. They've already got some fighters, you know, he's, he's got basically setting things up for his career after boxing and with Canelo, Canelo also has a promotional company right now. There was just a card in Mexico last week um, with uh, Kyle Gucci and Bermuda, your Bermudez. I have so much trouble with that name, which I'll, I'll review in just a minute here. But um, so, so the zone's done these kind of deals before, but this one with AJ feels different. It's a little different where he's literally like a, like a, a stakeholder in the company. So he has a very uh, vested interest, if you will, in the uh, zone, and I'm trying to think before the zone. You guys enlighten me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't think of a single scenario where any fighter in the history of boxing, while they were active, became a an exclusive partner in terms of ownership in a network or any sort of uh, broadcasting platform. I can't think of that ever happening in boxing history, but the zone has cut these deals recently with the three fighters I just mentioned, but um, most recently, Anthony Joshua. And what I find most interesting about it is none of those guys are American. Anthony Joshua, of course, from England, Canelo, of course, from Mexico, and Golovkin's kind of from a bunch of different places, but technically from Kazakhstan, although he basically lives the American life now. It's kind of interesting to me that it, it just shows where the zone is where their their brain is. It's it's global, right? And that's what they're trying to build there. Now, a lot of people were already shitting all over this deal. Oh, what's AJ doing? The um, zone lost a billion dollars the last couple of years. Well, yeah, the uh, zone has made some terrible business decisions, and there's a lot of things they could do better, particularly with their American uh, platform. But guys, the endeavor that they're trying to take on. It's going to take years before this thing is bringing back money and it makes any sense financially. Obviously, they have a plan to go all in long term. A business like this doesn't return a profit for several, several years. And that's most businesses in general. So for people to shit all over the zone, um, especially boxing fans, I don't really understand it because if you're a fan of the sport or you work in a sport as a media member, you want the zone to succeed. It's not that I have a horse in the race at all, but when I look at what the zone's trying to be, and where I look at when I look at boxing and the landscape becoming more and more global, there's a there's a 
space for the zone, right? Because ESPN and what they're doing here in America, that's specific to top rank in the United States. And there's a place for that. And then you got PBC and Fox slash Showtime. There's a, there's a place for that. But everybody else globally kind of fits into the smorgasbord of, of what DAZN's trying to be. So I, I think there's a place for all of these platforms. And um, so it's going to be interesting to see the way this all plays out. I think DAZN's starting to learn. Unfortunately, part of their learning process means they've added pay-per-view. And of course, it's going to be Anthony Joshua. He's probably going to be a pay-per-view fighter on DAZN, which I freaking hate but that's probably what we're going to see. Um, and, you, you know, I, I have to add this. I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, but, you know, we're right on the cusp of the rematch between Anthony Joshua, Alexander Usyk, Usyk coming off the war and all the complications he's had, Joshua signing this massive deal with the zone. I'm really curious who the judges are going to be for that rematch. I'm just putting it out there. I'm not trying to be Oliver Stone and be Mr. Conspiracy. You know, uh, what's, what's the guy, Alex Jones? I'm not trying to be him. I'm just saying the plot thickens with that whole thing. And for some of you betters out there, you gamblers out there, I know you're probably maybe changing the way you might want to bet on that fight, depending on some of this most recent news. Um, yeah. Okay. One last thing. Um, cause I love talking about me. I just have to show this. Um, my YouTube channel, Montero unboxing finally hit 10,000 subscribers. And I don't know if finally they gave me a break. I was literally stuck at 9.99. So 9,990 subscribers, exactly that amount for like a year. It, it didn't say it, it wouldn't go up by one or two or then down by three. Like it stayed that exact amount. And then this last weekend, it hit 10,000 exactly. So the, the, the algorithm there with YouTube, they're definitely doing some, some shady stuff right there. I just wanted to share this. Thank you to everybody who has subscribed and had to resubscribe and resubscribe again, because I get messages from you guys every week saying, dude, they keep unsubscribing me. What's going on? I don't know what YouTube does. I do know I have some friends that work at Google back in Cali on the corporate side. And they have told me that, how do you put it? Commercial media platforms, um, you know, the big conglomerate corporations, the ESPNs, because they're part of Disney, et cetera, et cetera. They pay, they basically pay money to Google now. Um, to get bumped up and independent content creators. If you don't check the right boxes, you get suppressed in the algorithm. It just is what it is. So that's what's happened, I guess, with me. Anyway, thank you for those of you who continue to resubscribe. Some of you almost every month as you get unsubscribed. If you haven't subscribed to my personal YouTube channel, please do go over to Montero Unboxing and subscribe and check it out. Later this year, um, I'm going to be locked down at home a lot more because I'm going to have a little girl here in the house that I'm taking care of. It's probably going to be me doing a lot more videos on my personal channel. Just putting that out there. Okay. Now that is it for news and notes. Let's get into review preview time, but let me make sure I hit all these super chats. Start with my man, Chris Bergen. So good to hear from you, Chris. Thank you, brother. He says my WBA tweet went viral. Steve Kim RT'd it. 
and L Wood liked it. Yeah, dude, that was a great one. Beating the shit out of the WBA is so fun. I don't know if you guys have uh, seen. I changed my my uh, what do they call it profile header or whatever on Twitter. My profile name is the WBA slightly irregular champion. Um, I just love trolling them because they make it so easy. But Chris had a good one this weekend, and uh, se- several of you guys did. Several of you did. All right, uh, another one from Sam. Thank you so much, Sam. He says, every Jake Paul fight is pay-per-view, no problem with AJ. Hey, I hear you, man. The difference is on the zone, I'm paying a yearly subscription, which, by the way, just went up. So the zone is playing a tricky game right now. And I understand, hey, we live in inflationary times, record inflation, the highest of my lifetime, and I'm 43. So the last time inflation was this bad, I was in freaking diapers, okay? Gas is over five bucks a gallon. I get it, man. So DAZN jacked their prices up. Okay, got you. But if you're doing that and you're adding pay-per-view and you're running commercials and ads during the pay-per-view, they're going to get to a point. There is a threshold. Boxing fans are degenerates. Fight fans in general, regardless of whatever martial art, right? It's wrestling, it's MMA, it's boxing, whatever. Fight fans are degenerates, especially the, the ones who like to gamble, and they will keep buying shit no matter how much they bitch. But there is a there is a threshold, all right? Because you start looking at some of these pay-per-views, you look at over at the PBC, and this isn't to beat up on PBC, but you look at their pay-per-view numbers in recent years, clearly fans over there have said, dude, you can't do 10 pay-per-views a year and expect me to buy this shit. And they've started tuning out of most of them. So um the zone they're playing a tricky game and they're going to reach that threshold at some point it's going to happen they need to be very very careful all right fight review time and boy there was a lot of fights last week um a lot of them were kind of showcase matchups you know and all that kind of stuff but we had a really really great one tuesday june 7th at the super arena in, in satama japan this is broadcast on espn plus here in america early like, like uh, I, the main event went on right around 8 o'clock a.m. And in that main event, Naoya in a way improves to 23-0, 20 knockouts with a TKO2 win over Nonito Donaire, unifies three of the four official bantamweight titles. Um, Paul Butler has the only other remaining title, and apparently negotiations are in place between Inoue and Butler to fight. Butler is a UK fighter. I think it'd be really, really cool if Inoue went over to the UK to fight him. He'd be a massive favorite. I mean, probably a 20 to 1 favorite or something, maybe even more than that. And um, he would destroy Butler. But it'd be for a complete unification. Butler would get a very, very good payday. And the British fans would get to see the monster up close and personal. And I think the monster has shown he wants to take the show global, right? He's fought in the United States and he's been in Japan recently. I think it'd be cool if we came to the UK for that. So um, listen, my prediction was for in a way to get the stoppage. You guys remember I said that last week. I didn't think it'd be this quick. Second round, I didn't, I I thought we were probably gonna go to the middle rounds at least, maybe even the late rounds. But I really, really felt that in a way was going to stop Donaire. And that's not a knock on Donaire. And it's not because uh, because a lot of the haters. The, you know, the guys who don't get the Inouye thing, you know, who has he fought? Those guys on Twitter immediately after this fight were saying, Donaire's old. He's almost 40. Yeah, that's true. He, he It's true. 
But Nonito Donaire is a first ballot Hall of Famer and probably beats every other bantamweight in the world right now. Casimero, that'd be a close fight. That could go either way. But other than Casimero, which again, Donaire might win that fight, but it'd be close. Other than him and, of course, the monster, I think Donaire beats every other bantamweight out there. I truly believe that. And I, I, I believe this was the first time he actually lost a bantamweight fight because you got to remember, Nonito started in the lower divisions, but he moved up and he was fighting naturally larger guys for a while. And that's where all his losses were. Since he's come back down, he hasn't lost, except for, of course, his fights with Inoue. I'm, I'm talking about outside of that. So to me, this was just Inoue being explosive as hell. He landed a good shot, a left hook to the temple of Donaire that clearly threw his equilibrium off. Wasn't the same after that. This fight was over in an instant. So here's the question. And this was the debate with the ring ratings committee as soon as this fight happened. Where do you rate Inoue pound for pound? And the, the panel was pretty much split on this. So I want to put it on record. My vote was to put Inoue number two and to keep Usyk number one. And I say that because of the overall body of work I think Usyk has done. In my opinion, it's more impressive. Now, he's only fought in two divisions. Inoue has fought in several, and he's, he's won titles in several. But remember what Usyk did in completely unifying at, uh, at Cruiserweight, which was a strong division. He fought all the top guys. It wasn't an opportunistic thing like Canelo at 168, where he didn't end up fighting the top challenge, which is David Benavidez. I think we'd all agree on that. For Usyk, he had to fight all the top guys. And the top challenge at that time was Murat Gassiev. And just the, the politics of that fight and everything else, I think people in the, maybe in the West, particularly the United States, don't realize the gravity that that fight had between a Russian and a Ukrainian and everything that was at stake in that fight. But then he travels to the UK, beats Bellew. Then he moves up to heavyweight. And here's the, here's the difference between, let's say, a flyweight moving up to junior bantamweight and then bantamweight. You're talking a difference of three pounds. Now, when you're a small guy, three pounds is a lot. But do the math here, guys. I'm not going to do it right now on the show. I don't want to break out the calculator. But if you're 112 pounds, what is the, the percent that three pounds, how much is three pounds the percent of your body mass from 112? I, I can tell you right now that Usyk being a 200-pound fighter, a natural 200-pounder, and fighting AJ, who's a 250-pounder, that's a 50-pound difference. That is a quarter, 25% of Usyk's natural body mass, right? A 200-pound guy fighting a guy that weighs 25% of what he naturally weighs more than him. That's significant. That is pound for pound. And Usyk beating AJ the way he did by outboxing him, not by outblasting him, but outboxing him, pound for pound skill. Doing that as such a big guy, a 200-plus pound man, that's very, very impressive. Fighting guys that are naturally larger, fighting on the road, and then fighting guys naturally larger. I just think Usyk's done more. Most of Inoue's work has been in Japan, and he has fought some good fighters, yes. But he hasn't really cleaned out a division until he got to Bantamweight. He's doing it now. He's doing it now. And he's pretty much cleaned it out. I'd like to see him maybe fight Casimiro. I think he'll destroy Butler. I think he'd, he'd destroy Casimiro too, but I want to see it. Um, so he is doing that now, 
But I just, I just think Usyk's done a little bit more. Anyway, the committee disagreed with me. And Naoya Inoue is our pound-for-pound pound number one fighter. You guys may agree. You may disagree. Either way, you can't go wrong whether you got Usyk or Inoue right now. All right. Friday, June 10, we had a couple different cards. Um, let's start in Mexico City with Matchroom and Canelo Promotions. They put on a show there that was broadcast on the zone. And Hiroto Kayoguchi improved to 16-0 with 11 knockouts with a TKO8 win over Esteban Bermudez, uh, who was a bloody mess in this fight. There was some headbutts. It got a little rough in there. Just a bloody mess. Uh, there was a lot of blood in this fight. This was the fourth defense of Kayoguchi's uh, junior flyweight title. So a good win for him on the road. And we're going to see more of these Canelo slash matchroom cards there in Mexico. And I talked at the beginning of the show, for those of you just getting on, about Anthony Joshua's new deal with the zone and how he's got a vested interest as a stakeholder in the, in the, in the company. You see similar kind of deals with Golovkin and Canelo, of course, and this card was what I hinted at. You're going to see more of this between Matchroom, Canelo, and DAZN, particularly out of Mexico, specifically out of Mexico. Uh, in the United States, in Verona, New York, upstate New York, there was a Showbox card on Showtime, uh, a bunch of heavyweight prospects in action. And the American, Dominican by birth, but uh, fights out of the Bronx now, George Arias approved to 18-0 with a less than spectacular win over Alante Green. Um, I expected more from Arias. The thing with Arias, good boxer, you know, especially for a big guy like that, just no power, man. He has seven knockouts and 18 wins. And I just don't know. At heavyweight, you got to have at least respectable power. Unless you have supreme skills like an Usyk, you have to have game-changing power to be an elite at heavyweight. You just have to have that. I'm not talking about Deontay Wilder, kryptonite, you know, just destructive, or I should say dynamite power. I'm talking about you got to have at least respectable power at heavyweight, and Arias just doesn't have that. The guy who was interesting on this card was Bakodir Jalilov, the Uzbek, uh, the Uzbek fighter who won uh, gold in the Olympics. He is now 11-0. He fights out of Brooklyn. There's several of these Uzbek guys now in Brooklyn. It's interesting. There's a little group of Uzbek fighters in New York, and there's a little group of Uzbek fighters out in L.A. Uh, and these guys have kind of – that's what's happening with a lot of the Eastern European, Central Asian guys. They're kind of – they've become the new Latin American fighters where these guys relocate to the United States and train here. And I think you're going to see more of that. Anyway, he got a KO8 win over Jack Buluwai, who had never been stopped. So this wasn't a spectacular win by – Jalilov, but it was a good developmental win with, with eight good rounds that he desperately needed. He needs those rounds. So he's definitely one to keep an eye on in terms of heavyweight prospects. All right, Saturday, June 11th, we had a few different cards. Let's start in Miami, where Don King, remember him? He put on the show. And this, this looked like, I'm going to sound like such a hater, but I'm not the only one saying this. It just looked like, it was at a high school gym and this was, I've seen amateur events that looked more, just more exciting, more uh, 21st century in the way they were promoted. You guys who follow me on Twitter, you saw, I tweeted out the fight poster to this card, which was absolutely hilarious. I think they called it the fight for peace or something, which Don King has used some derivative of that statement in his last like 10 promotions over the last 10 years. 
Um, it, it just, it felt like I was watching a stream, like an AOL messenger stream in like 1994. Like that's what I thought I felt. It, it, it wasn't just the way it looked and felt. It, it just it had to feel like it was from a high school gymnasium. Like some high school put on a boxing show and it was broadcast on 1990s <laughs> internet. Anyway, Daniel Dubois improves to 18-1, 17 knockouts with a KO4 win over Trevor Bourbon. Takes a piece of the WBA heavyweight title. But listen, we all know Daniel Dubois, who I'm still high on. He, he's very, very young. He needs to loosen up his upper body and move a little bit, use head movement, things like that. But he, to me, he showed improvement his last few fights. And it was a beautiful left hook knockout over Brian. Now I get it. Brian, I would beat several of Brian's opponents. I really, really would. If I got my ass in the best shape of my life, I would. And that's saying a lot. I shouldn't be able to even compete with any of his opponents. So Brian is a, a top 25. I don't even know if he's a top 30 heavyweight. But Dubois, probably top 15, right? And he's a guy to keep an eye on. But the WBA, come on, guys. And, and, and for Don King, with the last three fighters, what? Um, Amir Mann, uh, Berman Stavern, and now uh, Trevor Bryan. I think that was it. And if you, it, it's 2022, okay? If you sign with Don King, you're insane. And I'm not trying to diss the dude, but he has no juice in this game. He has enough to get you a WBA junior regular something or other belt. And if you're on the talent level of somebody like a Trevor Bryan, I guess it makes sense to go that direction, but man, he could have went PBC or something. It just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, anyway, for Dubois, he's somebody that we're going to continue to keep an eye on. There are some people that, you know, after his loss to Joe Joyce have just completely written him off. I think that was a case where Dubois had been fed a certain level of opposition, C level, D level at times, and stepped up a little too quickly. To step to, I like that he stepped up. Okay, don't get me wrong. I like when fighters step up, but he had not been properly built up. He had not been properly built as a prospect before fighting Joe Joyce, who I do think is underrated by a lot of fans out there. Um, so for Dubois, they got a pullback. He he learned a lot from that fight, and he can build on some things. He's still a guy I'm keeping an eye on. As for Brian, th this was it, right? He's, he's pretty much done. All right, Golden Boy Promotions had a show at the Honda Center in Anaheim, California. This was broadcast on The Zone. And in the main event, Jaime Munguia improves to 40-0 with a KO5 win over Jimmy Kelly in a super middleweight fight. Called out Jermall Charlo uh, after the fight. This was a 165-pound catchweight. So I guess he was hanging out at 165 to get this W over an unproven fighter and get another win and then calling out a guy at middleweight that you know isn't going to fight you. Everybody at Golden Boy Promotions knows that Jamal Charlo and PBC are not going to work with them and do a fight between Charlo and Munguia. Never going to happen. We already know this. Everybody knows this. So in a sense, calling out Jamal Charlo is a way for Jaime Munguia to save face with his fans and then they're going to continue to fight B and C level opposition. So later this year, 
And they, I know they'd love a crack at Golovkin, but Golovkin, he's going to fight Canelo. So later this year, expect Munguia in the ring against another opponent at this level. I really don't know what to think about Munguia. You know, he's 25, 26 years old. It's not like he's a 30-year-old fighter or something, but like, dude, you got to step it up. You, you got to step it up here. You got to find a way. Golden Boy Promotions has to find a way. Other than the Twitter call out, the fake call out after a fight, find a way to get this guy a high-level opponent. Now, he could have had a crack, I think, what, at the BO against um, – against the, the Kazakh fighter, um, John Beck, I don't, but they don't want that. I get it. Work your way up in the WBC or something to get a crack at Jamal Charlo. Do it that way. You know, um, do what you got to do to get Jaime Munguia a fight against the top guy. Cause you know, Golovkin is busy this year. So maybe you could get Golovkin next year. Cause he'll be back down at middleweight next year. But for right now, get your, get your guy in there with a, just a, somebody at least somebody in the top 10. All right. And one last fight, um, one last card I should mention, Saturday, June 11th, top rank had a show at the MSG Theater in New York. About 4,300 in attendance. And this was right around Puerto Rico Day Parade up there. So um, pretty good show for, for the theater. That's basically a, almost a full theater. Although I've heard they had to paper this venue a little bit. Anyway, Edgar Berlanga improves to 20-0 with unanimous decision win over Romar Alexis Angulo scores were way too wide. This was a close fight. All three of the scorecards were too wide. And you can see right away that the protection of the, um, the a side fighter was in full effect. Still thought Berlanga pulled it out. I thought he won the fight. You could say six rounds to four. You could even maybe go seven rounds to three. That's pushing it, but he won the fight. So, okay. I told you guys last week, this was good matchmaking for Berlanga in terms of getting him more rounds. And this was his most experienced opponent to date. Angulo has fought Gilberto Ramirez and David Benavidez. And even against Benavidez, he did get stopped in that fight. Um, and I'm trying to think, who did it? One of those guys didn't make weight in that fight. It might have been Benavidez because he hasn't made weight for several fights. Anyway, he still went rounds. Guy goes rounds. He's durable. Um, so this was, this was going to be a frustrating night for Berlanga. And you saw the frustration. He tried to literally bite Angulo in the seventh round. And even after the fight, he was talking some trash and kind of just being flippant and, um, disrespectful to his opponent, even after the fight. So he was frustrated, clearly frustrated. And this is a major issue. You could tell why was Berlanga, um, frustrated? Was it was Angulo fighting dirty or anything like that? Angulo was having success at times, but I thought Berlanga was doing enough to win. It was close though, but to me, Berlanga was frustrated because the Puerto Rican fans in attendance were not very entertained. Um, they were, or I, they weren't very excited and passionate about this fight, and this wasn't going the way Berlanga. And ESPN, the top rank, and the fans and attendants wanted it to go. They wanted to see a knockout, right? Because Berlanga was promoted as being this destructive knockout force. He was called a monster, right? And he got his first 16 wins, not just by knockout, but by first round knockout. And they marketed that to the casual fans, thinking, oh, every Puerto Rican in America is going to want to watch this kid fight now. Yes, right? And that was top rank's thinking. 
that destroyed this kid. It just, you could, why was he frustrated? Because he didn't get the knockout. That's why he was, because he won the damn fight. But he was frustrated while he was winning it because he wasn't getting to do what he wanted to do. And this dude wasn't just bending over for him and taking it in the ass, no lube, which is what the first 16 opponents did. Guys, if we're being honest, I remember watching those first 16 knock. I didn't see all of them, but you know, several of those first 16 fights for Berlanga. And I remember most of those stoppages were accumulation stoppages, ref stoppages, corner throws in the towel. It's not like these were destructive one punch knockout explosive kind of uh, stoppages. It wasn't even like what we saw with Inouye and Donaire earlier last week. They weren't like that. So it felt after a while that it was gimmicky. And I remember there was a few of those fights where the ref stopped it in the first round. I remember thinking the ref didn't need to stop that damn fight. That fight could have continued into the second or third round. So it was very, very evident that the first round knockout streak was playing in everyone's minds. And they were continuing to push that and push that. But if that's your identity as a fighter, you can never live up to that once the streak ends. That's it. And now his last, what, four fights, was it? Yeah, yeah, four fights have gone the distance. Hasn't looked like the same guy. And I keep hearing people say Edgar Berlanga has regressed. That's that's the word people keep using. And I completely disagree. He hasn't regressed. This is just who, he, who he's been the entire time. And here's the truth. If you took those 16 fights out and Berlanga's record was 4-0, and 4-0, and, and in his fourth pro fight, he just fought Angulo, even though all four of his fights went the distance, whatever, this was his fourth pro fight, all of you would be sweating him right now. You'd be saying, damn. This dude's advanced. In his fourth fight, he fought a, a, a seasoned pro like that, and he won the fight? Yeah, man, this is one to keep an eye on. But you guys are remembering the first 16 fights so much, and, and, I, and I understand why. I totally understand that. So is Edgar, and it's, it's, it's messed his head up. And top rank is the best in the business at building prospects into, into I'm not going to say superstars, because it doesn't always translate to financial, commercial success but they are the best at developing prospects into champions. They really are the best. And there's really no close second. Top rank does it better than anybody. They've been doing it for a very long time. And they just screwed up with this one because the, the once the knockout streak got to like the fifth or sixth fight, somebody at top rank should have said, look, we need to get this kid in with a guy who's going to go rounds. We, we have to get him in there because once you get past 10 straight knockouts, all in the first round in the age of social media, you get people talking, whatever, this is going to mess up someone's head. The second this kid stepped up and somebody, I remember the first time we went to distance, it wasn't just that the fight went, it got past the first round. Right. And then it was in the second and the third, and you could almost see panic setting in. Cause he's like, Oh shit. Cause you still wanted to get the knockout. He's like, well, maybe I'll get the knockout in the fourth or the fifth. And like, if that's where your brain is the whole time, you're not working on the shit you need to work on. The things that Berlanga and his team have been trying to work on the last three, four fights, that's what he should have been working on during his ten, his first 10 pro fights. Shouldn't be working on this shit in your 20th pro fight. So this is stunted the kid's growth. And I'll say this about top rank too. 
They are desperate for a Puerto Rican star. Absolutely desperate. Now, Zander Zayas might, might be the guy. He looks the part, right? He looks like he actually could be the guy. But if you look at decades past, eras past, there's always been strong Puerto Rican fighters in boxing. Not always, but in recent decades, okay? You look at toward the end of the 20th century and in the beginning of the 21st century, you always had elite-level Puerto Rican fighters and then strong contenders and strong gatekeepers. Every generation, you know, for several decades, that's really eroded over the last 10 years or so. It's just not what it once was. The last great Puerto Rican fighter was Miguel Cotto. Now, again, Zayas might be the guy. We'll, we'll see. But it's not Berlanga. He's not that guy. Still doesn't mean he can't turn out to be a good fighter and have a good career. They just need to pull back on the marketing with this kid. Take him off the main event. Stop trying to build him into the next big thing and develop the kid. Now, he's got to have it in him to humble himself a little bit and understand, like, okay, I'm not going to be the main event guy no more and all that, and take a step back. And that's okay. Do that for a few fights, and then and then see what you got with him. But um, the main event and all the carrying a show and all that, look, he brought in about 4,000 fans, although, again, from what I've heard, that was somewhat papered. But let's say he brought in at least 3,000. That's pretty good. But, dude, Miguel Cotto, Puerto Rican Day Parade, if he fought anywhere in New York or Atlantic City or something, he was doing a massive crowd, right? It's just different. It's just different. Top rank. It was actually, um, I was doing the Hispanic Cause and Panic podcast with Maestro. He's one of the, um, he's one of the hosts of that show. Does a great job. I recommend checking out his YouTube stuff, Maestro. And um, he brought this up and I like the way he put it, but he said top rank kind of promotes in a cookie cutter way. Meaning the way he meant it is they have a Puerto Rican fighter. They fight him in New York, Puerto Rican day parade, right? They have an Irish fighter. They will have um, a Cuban fighter and they'll fight in Florida. They'll have a West coast guy fighting in California, right? Uh, Jamel Herring. They always fought around, um, you know, veterans day or something like that. They, they theme their promotion based upon demographics, whether it be, social demographics, national uh, demographics, whatever it is, right? And um, they've done this for decades. They do a good job of it. And the thing is, they have a built-in channel, you know, with their media and stuff in these different, these different pockets of the market because they've done it for so long. So when they get a Puerto Rican fighter, they know how to promote them. When they get a Cuban fighter, whoever it is, they go to, through those channels, that infrastructure they have built in, the media channels and stuff they have, and they market the guy appropriately. But that limits them to a certain extent because if you don't have that Puerto Rican star, that's a big chunk of your promotion that you're missing out on, right? If you don't have that um, that that Irish American fighter, the, the the scrappy Irishman, you know you're you're missing out on that chunk, right? And, and so on and so on. So I think Top Rank is starting to update their game. They just signed all the fighters from the last American Olympic team. And none of those guys traditionally fall into the um, the boxes they like to fill, the categories they like to fill. Uh, some of them kind of do. But um, top rank is, generally speaking, good at finding trends in the market and where things are moving to and adjusting. But it's very important to their business model to have a Puerto Rican star. At least they'd, they'd like to. And they're pushing with Berlanga. I just don't think it's there, guys. I don't think it's there.
Um, all right. That is the review. Let's check out these super chats. I know I missed a bunch of them. I saw them going off here. So, all right, let's start with Anthony Santiago. Thank you so much. He says, happy birthday, Mike. Does anyone in the history of 118 destroy Donaire even at 40 the way Inouye just did? Damn, dude, that's an outstanding question. That's an outstanding question. Let's see. Who are the best Bantamweights of all time? Who would we put on that list? Ruben Oliveras, Edgar Joffrey, Carlos Zarate. So, okay. Fighting Arada was there. There's a few of these guys that were in around the weight class. Orlando, Canisales. Hmm. I think some of these guys would beat Donaire. Would they destroy him? That's a good question. That's a real good question. Let's see. Uh, Edgar Joffrey, George Dixon, we call him Little Chocolate, Pete Herman, Ruben Alaferes. I would favor several of these guys to, to beat Donaire. I would, but destroy him that way. Probably not. Probably not. And, um, that's a, that's a really, really great comment. And look, man, that's why several guys on the ring ratings committee thought that he should be rated number one pound for pound right now because of the way he beat Donaire. Um, and you can absolutely make a case for that. You really, really could. I did see some people got really butthurt by that decision on Twitter, but are you surprised? Are you surprised? Not at all. Mandeli with the super chat. Thank you, Mandeli. He says, happy birthday, my man. Can you talk about the controversy regarding Inouye's hand wrapping? I heard that wrapping is illegal in the States. 10K, baby. Uh, yeah, I saw this, and I don't I don't put too much into it. Um, apparently, he got taped directly on his hands, on his knuckles. That's what I saw. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys, if I'm missing something, because I just didn't. Uh, I didn't pay too much attention to it. I don't think it really had any bearing or difference on the fight. Let's see if, you know, if Inouye fights in the United States again, and if this is um, illegal to do in the United States, or if it's frowned upon by the commissions here, let's say he fights in Vegas. The Vegas commission doesn't allow him to do it. And then suddenly Inouye's power goes away. It just evaporates. And now he's going the 12 round distance with everybody he fights in the, in America or in the UK, but then in Japan, he's drilling everybody, knocking them all out. Then there might be something to it. But if you look at his resume, that's not really the way it's worked. So um, I don't really put anything into that. I really don't. Although apparently Donaire did say in an interview that was the hardest he's ever been hit, which is pretty interesting. Anthony Santiago with another super chat. Thanks again. He says, Berlanga is fucking booty. <laughs> is fuk, sorry, fukin booty and has a terrible attitude i have placed all my hope in xander Zayas being the next puerto rican star look you're not alone man you're not alone man i, I think most people agree with you uh xander Zayas, other than or on top of being a guy he looks like he has all the skills and stuff right but he's also a good looking kid well spoken and he's got a good attitude and i just think that's going to make him marketable particularly to the Latin American fan base, specifically the Puerto Rican fan base. A lot of Latin American fans like that. They like a fighter who's personable. That was one thing that helped uh, hurt Miguel Cotto a little bit is he's kind of a, I don't know what the way to describe him. He's kind of awkward socially. He's a socially awkward guy. And it's not just with media. He, he can be funny. He, he's kind of funny to hang out with in the gym and stuff. 
but he's funny in kind of an awkward, goofy kind of way. I don't know how else to describe him. He's just kind of distant, you know. Zaya seems to – the big, bright smile and everything, I think he could be the guy too. We just got to see him step up. And it, you know, top rank should take their time with him. Just take their time. I feel like they want it right now. And it's like, dude, just chill. Build the kid up the right way like you guys normally do. I get he's Puerto Rican. I get it. Take your time. Build him up. Pretend he was just a regular American fighter, regardless of ancestry. And promote him that way. Build him that way. I hope they um, take their time and do it the right way. CJ Duncan with the super chat. Thank you so much, CJ. He says, happy born day, Montero. To year number 43, salute my brother. Salute to you, my brother, and to your better half. Hope you guys are doing well. Been a while, man. You guys need to get to a freaking fight together. John Uden with the super chat. Thank you so much, John. He says, happy birthday, Mike. Was planning on being at Smith versus Better BF, but it landed on my wedding date this Saturday. We'll meet up soon, bro. Well, congratulations to you, John. Uh, congratulations, brother. You guys make a beautiful couple and, um, I hope you enjoy your wedding, man. That's, I hope it's not too damn hot. Cause it's like 96 degrees here in Atlanta. So I, you know, hopefully it's not too hot for you guys. You picked like the hottest summer. I, I think this is going to be a super hot record breaking summer. It just feels that way already. I hope you guys don't melt. <laughs> I hope things go well. Uh, good luck and congrats, brother. That's awesome, man. Uh, Gideon went to Super Chat. Thank you, Gideon. He says, thoughts on Jermel Charlo versus Tim Zhu? Too early for him, in my opinion. Dude, thanks for bringing that up. I completely forgot about it. Um, so apparently, Jermel Charlo has said he is down. with staying at 154, fighting Tim Zhu. Tim Zhu, of course, is one of the mandatories. And I think, because he's a mandatory, and so is uh, Fondura, Sebastian Fondura. But I believe Zhu gets first dibs. I think it's too soon for him. I think he needs another one or two fights. I'd love to see him fight Tony Harrison or somebody like that before fighting Charlo. I actually think this is a smart move by Charlo. Fight Zoo now. Because if Zoo gets better two, three years down the road, you don't want to fight him then. Fight him now. And Jermel Charlo has shown that he is willing to fight anybody. He really is. You know, he, he's fought top guys, um, and props to him. He hasn't completely cleaned out 154, but he's won all the belts. And if he fights Zoo, that'd be really impressive. What I'd really, really like to see is Jermel Charlo pull a Devin Haney and have the balls to go all the way to Australia and fight Zoo there. If he does that and wins that fight, he's going to go way up, way up on my pound-for-pound list. If Zoo has to come back here to the United States and fight Charlo in Vegas and Charlo wins, it's a good win. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it, it's not the same. It's just not the same. Um, but I agree with you, Gideon, that Zoo is not ready for that. I like when fighters step up, though. What do you got to lose? It's, it's not as if Zoo is fighting Charlo for the WBA regular belt or some shit, right? some useless belt. It's for the undisputed championship. And if Zoo loses... I'm not saying it will be exactly like this, but there's a little bit of a parallel here. It'll be like Canelo losing to Floyd Mayweather. Again, I'm not saying it's the exact same, guys, but I'm sure you see where I'm going with this. Nobody held it against Canelo that he lost and lost badly to Floyd. He was basically shut out by Floyd. 
but nobody looked. It didn't hurt Canelo's marketability. In fact, his marketability went up after that fight because it increased his profile with the casual fans. So for Zoo, it's not exactly the same. I get it. But if he comes to the United States and fights Jamel Charlo in Vegas or wherever it is and loses for the undisputed championship of the world, I don't think it'll be held against him. In fact, it could help his branding and his marketability depending on how the fight goes. Okay, let's do the fight preview, guys, and then we'll holler at some phone calls, all right? Um, all right, where's my, where's my damn nose? Okay, Saturday, June 18th, there's really only one to talk about. And you guys know where I'm going. Back to New York, Madison Square Garden Theater, top rank. It's going to be on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. The uh, undercard, the only fight on the undercard that I think is worth mentioning is we've got a Puerto Rican versus Cuban matchup, featherweights. Abraham Nova is 21-0, born in Puerto Rico, but now lives in upstate New York against Robisi Ramirez, born in Cuba, now lives and fights out of Florida. Ten rounds, featherweights. Both are 28 years old. Um, Nova has more wins, but you could make the argument that Ramirez has better experience, particularly if you consider the amateur experience. And this will be orthodox versus southpaw. So hopefully that doesn't get ugly. Because I looked at that matchup and I'm like, that could get really ugly and hard to watch. I hope it doesn't go in that direction. Main event, this will not be ugly. This will be nonstop. Well, not nonstop, but this will be guaranteed violence. And I'll be ringside for this one. I can't freaking wait. This is my birthday present. Arthur Baturbiev, 17-0, 17 knockouts. Now, that's not the Edgar Berlanga streak. It's very, very different, 17 knockouts and 17 wins when you look at who he's fought and who he's done that to. Going up against Joe Smith Jr., 28-3 with 22 knockouts himself. Uh, Baturbiev, 37 years old. And what we don't know is this, is this an old 37 or a young 37? I don't know, but 37. But Joe Smith is no spring chicken himself. He's 32. Height and reach, pretty much negligible. Uh, the height, Smith might be half an inch taller. What's interesting is Smith has a 76-inch reach compared to a 73-inch reach for Baturbiev. So Smith is slightly bigger, the naturally slightly bigger guy. But uh, both of these dudes are among the strongest, just natural brute strength, strongest guys in the sport, pound for pound. Just two really, really strong guys. And this is for Baturbiev's WBC and IBF light heavyweight belts and Smith's WBO light heavyweight belt. On the surface, Baturbiev's a big, big favorite. But on the surface, I think a lot of people are looking at this as a competitive matchup because of the fact that Baturbiev has had periods of inactivity. He has been dropped, particularly early in fights when he's cold. Smith can crack. He's literally knocked all-time greats out of the ring. I was there to see that. Holy shit. That should happen like literally like a few rows in front of me, by the way. The sound of B-Hop's head hitting the concrete floor really scared the shit out of me. I was really worried about him there for a minute. Anyway, tangent, I know. Because of all those things related to Baturbiev, and he does have a style that breaks down, and at some point you have to figure he's going to get, quote-unquote, get old overnight, to use an old boxing adage. Because of those things, people are looking at this as a competitive fight, and I think it will be, particularly in the first half. Baturbiev is a slow starter. Also, Smith has shown improvement in recent fights. Okay, he has shown some some 
new craft, if you will, some more developed craft and been taking boxing more and more seriously as he's um, excelled and progressed in his career. Um, but the betting odds are wide. And I think, well, there's several different reasons for that. But before I get into it, let's look at their best wins. Best wins for Arthur Baturbiev, Marcus Brown, which was last year, and Alexander Vojdik in 2019. I, I actually think Marcus Brown is an underrated fighter in the eyes of many American fight fans because he's had a couple losses because, you know, Americans think if you lose a fight, you suck. But Brown is a damn good fighter, and he can box. He's he's definitely a, a, a good quality prize fighter. And Baturbi have just broke the guy down. Vojdik, in terms of his skill set, is an elite-level operator. Might not have the grit that Marcus Brown has, the, the dog and the nastiness that Marcus Brown has, but elite-level operator in terms of skill set. And it's the same thing, man. Baturbiev just wore him down. Here's the thing. Would you say Brown and Vojdik have the power, the natural strength, and the proven chin that Joe Smith has? I would say no. I would say no. So it's interesting. Now let's look at Joe Smith's best wins. Maxime Vlasov, which was last year, and that was a controversial win. That was close. Some people thought Vlasov deserved it. Eladir Alvarez and Jesse Hart back in 2020. Alvarez passed his best years, hasn't fought since. So that was basically his last fight. And Hart, that was a close win. I think Hart's an underrated fighter too. And then, of course, B-Hop in 2016. He did go 22 rounds, distance fights, with Sullivan Barrera and Dimitri Bevel, but he lost those fights. And he lost badly to Bevel. The Barrera fight was competitive. He broke his jaw in that fight. Um, but even in those two fights he lost, I should mention, I believe he dropped Barrera. I think it was early. And then he hurt Bevel at the end of that fight pretty badly. Bevel was able to recover and, and coast down the stretch and win the fight. But he did hurt Bevel and he dropped Barrera. Um, so even in those performances where he lost, and again, against Bevel, he was basically outclassed. Um, he, what's interesting is, he actually, Joe Smith was actually more competitive with Bevel in a way than Canelo Alvarez was, if you think about it, because Alvarez never hurt Bevel, even though his skill set was better than Smith. Smith hurt Bevel. Now, of course, that relates to size. Well, Smith's going in there against a guy in Baturbiev that has blown through all of his opposition, but has never faced as strong of a fighter as Smith. Smith and for you know Baturbiev, he's going in there against Smith, um, strong guy. Like I said, for Smith, he's going in there against Baturbiev, and Smith has fought basically the who's who of the division. Barrera, Sullivan Barrera, pretty good fighter. Dimitri Bevel, we we know he's a great fighter, and um, I, I mentioned Alvarez Vlasov, who fought at two hundred pounds, has been fighting at cruiserweight and came down for that fight. Uh, so he had been used to taking punches from bigger guys. But has he fought anybody at Paterbiev's level in terms of the proven chin? Uh, although he has been dropped, he's been able to get up and recover and win and win decisively by stoppage and just the destructive power. Um, so, so the reason why I really like this fight is there's questions for both fighters, as I just brought up, 
right? And you look at who they fought, you can make an argument. And I don't even think this is, to me, it's not even an argument. The overall better resume in terms of who they fought, that's Joe Smith. I'm sorry, but it's Joe. If you look at Baturbiev's resume outside of the Brown fight and the Vojdik fight, his resume is pretty weak. I got to say, you know, this guy was on pound for pound list and stuff at one point, and his resume is fairly weak outside of those two guys. Kids, Callum Johnson, there's a couple guys, but overall, Smith has probably fought the better opposition, but Smith has lost fights. He's uh, gotten away with a couple close wins. For Baturbiev, it's all been domination. So I think the general consensus here, the way most people see this, is that Smith is going to start fast, try to establish himself and, and push Baturbia back as much as he can early on, get his respect while he's cold because he knows Baturbia is a slow starter. And once Baturbia starts warming up in the middle rounds, things will get close. That's when it's going to get really, really bloody. There's going to be a lot of violence. And then from the middle rounds into the late rounds, Baturbia is just going to beat this guy up and possibly stop him late. That's how a lot of people see this fight. Okay. Um, on the surface, in, in certain respects, you could say both guys are facing the best opponent of their career. We definitely know that Smith is. With Baturbiev, right now, the best opponent of his career is Vosdick. But with all the intangibles Smith brings, could Smith be the best guy? We'll, we'll find out. You know, again, that's why I like this fight. There's so many questions we'll have answered. Um, but I, you know, I got to go with, I guess, the, the experts on this one. And I got to take Arthur Baturbiev to either win um, probably a late stoppage, e either um, the ref stopping it or a cut. I think both guys are going to get cut. I think there's going to be blood. There's going to be a headbutt or something. Both guys will have a gash. The ref might have to stop the fight due to a cut. I just hope that doesn't happen in the first two or three rounds. But that's just, I got to go in that direction. Would it shock me? Would it absolutely shock me if Joe Smith, caught Baturbiev early, dropped him. It was able to build some early momentum and, and hold on late when Baturbiev makes his surge and win a decision against a Russian as a New Yorker in New York. It wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't shock me. I don't know the odds on this. Um, I'm not a betting man, but so we'll, we'll talk about that, I guess. Uh, maybe, maybe Thad, our resident gambling expert, will call in and give his thoughts, but um, I, it wouldn't shock me. I'm just saying I get why the odds makers have Baturbiev um, way ahead in terms of the uh, the odds for this thing. All right. I think we have one more super chat, and then we could get to some phones. Mendeli with another one. Thank you, Mendeli. He says, if Baturbiev blows through Smith on Saturday, do you see him entering the top 10 pound for pound? Maybe boot Loma and Estrada off the list. It's a really good question. If that does happen, then Baturbiev might get consideration. And there's going to get there's going to be some drama from the from the fans because they're going to say, well, what about Haney? Haney just completely undisputed lightweight. Baturbiev only has three of the four belts. He hasn't fought Bevel. I think the argument would be at that point, yeah, but Baturbiev has won his belts one at a time. He's unified his belts one at a time. Haney just went in and fought the guy who had all the belts one win against the guy who, if we're being honest, again, no disrespect to George Cambosos. I, I think that Tiafima Lopez took him lightly. Wrong night for Tio. I thought Tio 
Uh, Should have won that fight. I think he'd win a rematch. I just don't rate Cambosis at that elite level. Um, I don't rate Joe Smith at that elite level either. I don't. Um, so, but Smith to me is vastly more proven than Cambosos. So if Paterbiev gets this win and now he's got wins over Brown, Vosdick, and uh, Smith, I, he'd be considered. And look, you guys, you guys know my opinion about Lomachenko. I, I'm a big Loma fan. I think he is among the, the top dozen or so fighters in the on the planet right now. First ballot Hall of Famer if he retires right, you know, this second. But he's not going to fight this year. And his team have pretty much said that without saying it. I think he should be off the list. And I've, I've made my opinion clear on that. I was voted down. But depending on what happens this weekend, maybe, maybe we'll see that take place. Okay. All righty. Let us jump to some phones. I hope I could get to all these guys. Guys, just uh, the last couple of weeks, the last couple of shows, we've let the phone calls go a little bit long because we didn't have as many. Um, it's my birthday. I have a reservation dinner to get to. So we're going to keep these quick. Get in here and drop your knowledge and we'll move on, okay? We're, gonna, we're just going to boom, boom, boom. We're going to run through here. You guys got a round. You got three minutes. So let's jump to the first one. We got 336 on the line. What's up? You're on the show. Yo, Michael. Oh. Happy birthday. What's up, BLT? How you doing, man? right? Yo, great, man. 43. Let's see. That was 1998 for me. Oh, I was damn. Still in New York then, working in Midtown, walking by the garden every day. But, yo, I'd like to be up there, but I don't think it's going to happen, man. Okay. But you know, that's how it goes. But uh, we're going we're gonna to hook up. We're going to hook up. We're going to hook up. Absolutely. Uh, as far as, well, I concur with everything you said. But Langer, he better stop believing his bullshit because the next step is becoming a legend in your own mind. Mm. He better stop that shit and get straight. Uh, as far as the the African fighter. You know, when I was watching, when I was watching ESPN, Tim Bradley made a joke about that. Shit, oh man. yeah. And I think, I think right. they broke and they told that motherfucker, yo, that guy died. And then he had to come back and eat his shit. You see, <laughs> yo, <laughs> you God, that I out? saw that. You that yeah, yeah. I completely forgot about yeah. that, but you're right, man. Um, yeah. and, and the thing is, yeah. even if, even if the guy had lived and clearly there was something wrong with his brain, you don't make Bradley. fun of that shit. Yeah. You just don't do that. You don't clown like that shit. Yeah. Tim Bradley, I'm like, surprised, man. Damn. Yeah, that was bad. And I liked him, but that was bad, yeah, dude. Yeah. That was bad. Yeah, yeah. That was very embarrassing. But anyway, yo. Yo, man, um, well, you going to have a Friday show? I might. It depends. Uh, if I get checked into the hotel right. and I'm not too drunk, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll do a yeah. Friday show. <laughs> yo, yo, man, do it up for me. Have a couple drinks for me, All man. Right, man. I'd like to be there. But damn. <laughs> anyway, you and Tiff, do the same, man. Enjoy. All right, be thanks safe. a lot, brother. Take care. All right, there he goes. There he goes. Yeah, guys, we'll see about a Friday show. It really depends on how how things play out. Friday afternoon. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Let's keep it going here. We got to keep these stuff rapid fire, guys. I think this is Thad. 570, you're on the show. What's up? Hey, Mike. Yeah, this fight, looking forward to this one all year. If I don't see a fight the rest of the year, I'd be happy. 
I could just see this one. Yeah. So with the betting, um, <laughs> huge odds if Joe Smith wins by decision, 15 to one, he'll be plus 1500. If you bet a hundred dollars, it's a possibility. If the, the fight does go to decision, I like Joe Smith's chances, yeah. but saying that I, I hope that their game plan is not to box. Cause if you box Baturbiev, you lose. I don't care if you're Floyd Mayweather. You're not outbox. You're not beating Baturbiev by boxing. He's going to break you down, hunt you down, and knock you out. The way to beat Baturbiev is to fight with him, punch with him. He got caught by Callum Johnson, who's who's a pretty good puncher. Caught him with a left hook, dropped him. Baturbiev got up and stumbled. Okay, he can be hurt, and he could be and he could be finished. Joe Smith, that's his chance. He has to go in there with the mindset. Of, of just being who he is. Don't try to be pretty. His trainer, don't try to make a name for yourself. Go in there and fight. Go in there and go for the knockout early. If they try and yeah. get cute, Joe Smith's going to get busted up. I and completely he's agree. He's got to do it early, out. too. He's got to come out in the first mm-hmm. round with a yeah. hard one, too, and try to bust Baturbiev in the mouth first thing and work from there. I completely agree. And, Mike, I, I've been watching all of Baturbiev's fights. He can be hit. He can be hit mm-hmm. pretty easily. But the best way to hurt him is to punch with him. But nobody's been able to do that because they just don't have that type of chin, and they didn't. They, they, they weren't willing to risk at all. Joe Smith, he's a tree cutter, okay, has his own business. That, that's a, that line of work is dangerous. You have to be a crazy son of a bitch to do that job. That's gonna, that's, in my opinion, that's what's going to win Joe Smith this fight, mm. his heart. He's going to stay in there. He's going to take punishment, punishment that – Guys in boxing will not want to take, and he's going to win this fight. Um, the only fighter who's, who's been able to beat Baturbiev in the last 15 years was Alexander Ustik in the, the Olympics. And he had his moments. He, he was hurt by Baturbiev. And this is a 200-pound fight. This is at the, the heavyweight, um, which is 200 pounds. And there's only one Usyk. No one's going to outbox Baturbiev. You're going to have to fight him, and you're going to have to have a chin. Okay. I, I, I rate this fight a 50-50 fight, right down the middle. All right. Joe Smith can't get cute. He can't get cute. And this light heavyweight division, I don't care what anybody says, there has to be the winner of this fight in, in a top 10 pound for pound. And if the Turbier beats him, then he's a top five. Because look at, look at this division right now. You got Bivol at the top, the Turbier, Joe Smith. You got Zerto Ramirez. You got Maxim Vlasov. You got Callum Smith, you got Joshua Buwatsi, and you got Anthony Yard. That's like a top eight list that could go head-to-head with any division in boxing, okay, top to bottom. So there has to be some pound-for-pound love for that light heavyweight division because it's getting overlooked, to be quite honest. There's way too much, way too much, way too much hype around these lower divisions where guys are jumping around three, four, five, six pounds, you know, fighting guys that they're way bigger than, actually. Like Devin Haney, this guy's a middleweight. You know? <laughs> he's fighting. He's fighting smaller guys. You cannot put guys pound for pound uh, on that list that are much bigger than the guys are fighting. Like a Jermel Charlo, he's much bigger than the guys he's fighting at fifty four. Okay, you got guys like Lomachenko moving up to thirty five. He's not a thirty five pound fighter. He, he's a he's a super featherweight. So when you take into consideration pound for pound, you have to take in that. You have to look at that parameter. That's key. Guys fighting bigger guys and beating them like like Usyk is. Okay, that takes that's special. Well, we know both so of these guys getting, are pretty much the same size and strength, and I really do think they're among the two strongest right. guys in the they're sport. Both, so 
They're both big. They're both six feet, solid, 200 pounds walking around. I mean, yeah. solid yeah. muscle mass. Yeah, these are big so guys. So these guys are big. And, and Baturbio's never faced a guy like Smith. Never. And Smith, you, you said he had a close fight with Hart. No, he blew him out. I mean, he didn't knock him out. But I was at that fight. He he won about eight nine rounds, and he dominated them. I mean, he dropped him twice. I think they what only was, counted one oh, knockdown. Okay, it, that was in Atlantic City. The ref was so biased. The judges were biased. They even had, I guess, one judge giving the, the fight to Hart, which was an absolute travesty. And and there was a fight after the fight in the in the stands. It was it was a joke. He, Joe Smith dominated Jesse Hart. Jesse Hart was he survived with a life raft around him. Okay, so. A lot of people are overlooking Joe Smith and his accomplishments in the fact that he, I think he's tw- he has 28 knockouts and 20, I think he has 22 knockouts. 22 and, like and 28. The mark yeah. and, right. That's but, playing a part in, this, in these odds makers. That's playing a big part in the odds makers. They're looking at the knockout percentage. And I heard it from, from a, uh, a lines maker in, in Vegas. Okay. This guy um, had a, uh, not a doctorate, but the second highest, you know, that in, in finance and uh and macroeconomics okay this guy they, they make lines according to percentages and algorithms okay rarely do they have a feel like a real gut feel for boxing to handicap fights it's all statistics so that's why you're seeing these huge odds in my book if i'm handicapping this fight i'm making baturbi of minus 175 little less than two to one favorite so joe smith as an underdog has so much value here if you don't bet joe smith in a parlay or the last two weeks I've been building up parlays. Like I got 20 tickets with Joe Smith closing the parlay just to, you know, bulk up those odds. And, you know, this is, this is a rare opportunity in boxing where you you can have a guy getting plus five, 600 on the betting line. And and it's a 50, 50 fight when it comes down to it. So people enjoy, um, I really hope, Joe Smith wins the fight now, not only because, you know, he's an American, but I think he's a, an ambassador for the sport. I think he's the last great big man in, from America. Hmm. I don't think we're going to see an American fighter like Joe Smith in the future. I just, I, I don't think there's an American fighter above 150, 56, 154 pounds. That's really worth anything to be quite honest. And Andrade and Jamal, Jamal Charlo are they're trash. They're absolute trash. So, well, I'm gonna let you go, Mike. Yeah, you're at seven. Um, so seven I have, minutes. I have Joe Smith by yeah. by KO five. Wow! All right, you're on the record. Dad's got Smith KO five. I'll tell you guys, if, if that happened, um, what, what would be interesting is the entire boxing world would see this as a massive upset if you look at the betting odds. Now, I don't see this as fifty fifty, but I would say sixty forty for Baturbiev. I don't, I don't have it quite fifty fifty the way Thad does. But I'd say 60-40. And there's a lot of people out there that see this thing as 90-10. And I, I just don't see it that way. I think Smith has a really, really good chance. And I do agree that people are overlooking him. And again, if you look at Baturbiev's resume, and I know, good amateur career. He fought some really top guys. But as a pro, outside of Marcus Brown, outside of Alexander Vozdik, and I think Callum Johnson, if we want to include him, outside of those guys, not the strongest resume. Really not the strongest resume. So um, we're going to get answers to a lot of questions in this fight, and those are the kind of matchups I love. Sam with the Super Chat. Thanks, Sam, for another one. 
I said, did you see Inouye flex his six-pack, then touch gloves? You know what, dude? I didn't get into that fight until like just after the opening bell, so I, I didn't see that. But uh, Inouye is a character, man. He looks like I, I, he's not Korean, but he looks like he could be in a K-pop band. I get it. Japan, completely different country, completely different culture. I'm just saying he's got that look that he could be like in a boy band or something uh, with the hair and everything else. Um, and he's a star over there in Japan. He's a big, big star. So, again, I talked earlier about this. I hope that he can go over to the U.K., and fight Paul Butler next. I think that'd be really, really cool if he does that by the end of this year. I think it'd be good for his brand. All right, let's keep it going, guys. Let's get back to the phones. I want to uh, get through as many of these as I can before I got to drop. So it looks like we got Nacho on the line. What's up, Nacho? How you doing, man? All right, Mike. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to take too long. I'm just going to talk about the, the fight. Uh, Berlanga Angulo, um, I kind of agree with what BT said. I think the kid has bought into his own hype. Mm -hmm. And right now at this point, they've done everything backwards with him. Instead of developing him from the beginning, they allowed the KO streak to take over his career. And now all of a sudden they're trying to develop him all these fights later. And that's why he looks like a completely lost fighter in there. And to be honest, Mike, like I told you uh, earlier, I think his power at 168 is not the same as it was when he was knocking these guys dead at 160. I think that's the biggest difference. I think the guys at 68 are probably not respecting his pop anymore. And I think that's the biggest difference. And at this point, I don't know what Top Rank does with this kid. Like, to me, uh, I've heard Jesse Hart, which, I mean, I don't think is a bad idea. But honestly, I saw a few other guys in the uh, rankings that I thought might be, you know, viable options like uh, Kyron Davis, uh, maybe a Ronald Ellis, or even like a Shane Mosley Jr., mm -hmm. I think would be even more suitable fights for him at this point. Because that kid needs a lot of work still. And who the hell knows how long it's going to take before they develop him, but... I mean, good luck to top rank trying to figure this one out. Um, and then with the uh, Mungia uh, thing, uh, fight, Mike, uh, I, I commented that to me, Mungia looks like a guy who legitimately is uh, uninterested and flat at this point. The last two fights have kind of shown it uh, against Ballard and now against this guy, Kelly. He looks like a guy who legitimately knows that he's better then the guys he's fighting and, and he's kind of basically fighting to their level. Yeah. And I think that's going to end up biting him in the ass unless they get to give this kid a real challenge. They need to stop screwing around and they need to give him a legit title fight. Like enough of these tune up slash stay busy fights. The kid is going to lose if they keep fucking around and giving him these ridiculous stay busy fights. Like there's no need for them. It's time to put him in there against a legit contender. Um, and yeah, there no more, no more tune-ups. And then, uh, with the, uh, Trevor Bryan, Daniel Dubois, man, I knew Trevor Bryan was built up by Don King, but Jesus, he looked like he had no business in there against Daniel Dubois. Dubois looked like a real heavyweight and Bryan looked like a guy who legitimately, uh, was a club fighter mm -hmm. who had been given a, a, a paper title. 
and you could see it in the ring. Brian had no business being in there, and it was just a matter of time. And uh, Dubois caught him with that beautiful left hook, laid him out, and it was over. Uh, glad he got the win. Glad, you know, that uh, he's kind of regaining his confidence back. And hopefully he'll get some better fights moving forward now that he's got rid of a guy like Trevor Bryan who had no business uh, holding yeah. a, a paper title, much less any kind of title. And then uh, for the fight this weekend, Mike, I'm picking uh, Baturbia. As much as I like Joe Smith, I just don't think Arthur is going uh, is gonna to let him get going. I think he's going to come out because I, I think he knows how serious this fight is. And I think he's going to go out there and he's going to put on a really good performance. I think Smith will have his moments, but I think Baturbiev ends up getting the stoppage. I say it ends up, uh, he gets the stoppage in like nine. Okay. So, all right, Mike. I know you got other callers. All right. Thanks, Nacho. Good stuff, man. All right. Yeah. So Nacho sees it pretty much how the odds makers see it. I think that's how a lot of the experts, the pundits, um, see it happening. Um, oh, Papa Chubby in the chat says, uh, tell us, Mike, about Tears for Fears. Yeah. So last night uh, there was a concert, like literally, I don't know, four, three, four miles. There's a like an amphitheater thing just a few miles from a house. It's like a 12-minute drive. And, and Tiff, my wife, was like, yo, do you want to go to this? It was Tears for Fears, yo. And uh, the opening act was Garbage. Now, some of you guys probably don't remember that, but like Garbage was a band from the 90s. And then Tears for Fears was 80s. So like Tiffany, my wife, oh, there's a bug flying around. Tiffany wasn't even born yet uh, when they, when some of their like hit songs came out. But she knows, this, I mean, everybody knows Tears for Fears, right? So we went, dude, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. There was actually, it was like 12,000 people. It was like a sold out crowd at this little outdoor venue. We just sat on the lawn and ordered like a hamburger, just sat there and ate a hamburger and chilled. And the sun had went down. That's the only reason I went. If the sun had been out, hell no. But the sun was down, so it was okay. All right, back to the phones we go. <clears throat> Let's see, we got 415. You are on the show. What's up? Happy birthday, Mike. It's your boy, Luis. Luis, thank you, man. Appreciate that. Yep, yep. Let me um keep it pushing. How you saying about you got a lot of um calls and shit. You know, you got to get to your dinner. So real quick about the um zoo and Tarlo. First of all, Zoo does, does not deserve no damn title shot. He has not been mandatory for no two years. Mm. The man who deserves the title shot who's being ducked and got paid step aside money two times is Bachman Mortazaliev, who a lot of people don't know about, but the boxing generous know who I'm talking about. The yep. guy is a is a damn like he's a uh, I don't even know what to call him, but they stare at him and don't nobody speak of his name for a reason. He's like slender man out there, like don't nobody want to see him. Slender Man. So I that's love my first point. <laughs> the Slender Man reference. Yeah. I love it. So, yeah, yeah. So, and Bertha BF, we got to think about Bertha BF. You know, I hear what you're saying as far as that his resume ain't that good, but he beat the man who beat the man, if you remember. He beat uh, Donna Stevenson when he was reigning for about 10 years with that W's title. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, Gary Russell, he did the same thing. He kept that bill hostage when uh, Kovalev was supposedly on a pound for pound list and he went one by one collecting all the belts. Adonis Stevenson went to a whole different network to dodge him. But mm. then uh Alexander um Boston ended up fighting him and damn near killed the guy. You remember he sent the return to return yeah. we ain't heard nothing from Donna Stevenson. Hopefully he's doing better, but he basically fried that boy brain when he beat him up so bad. 
And when Berta Diaz fought Alexander uh, Bostic, that was uh, ultimate. Uh, that should have been a pay-per-view fight. But, you know, Berta Diaz went out there and destroyed him. And this guy ain't fought since. He retired. He was undefeated up to the point, and he only lost that one time. And, man, that should tell you something about Berta Diaz, man. This, this, this guy is, is, is just like, I forgot which one of the callers that called, but that represented him not losing since he lost to uh, Usyk and in the Olympics, and that was at a heavier weight. That should tell you something about the dude. Joe Smith, I like him. Common man, yeah, yeah, it fails to a certain point, but everybody has a game plan, so they get in the ring and get beat the fuck up. And I don't think that him exchanging with, a B, with Bear BF is going to be a good decision because how should he fight him then? Hard, bro. If you if you were, I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but if you were fighting him, how would you fight him? If you were Joe Smith, if you were in this corner, I, I, I would try to I, I would try to gas him out, try to not necessarily run around. That's not his game plan. That's not his mo. That's not what he's good at. But I would try to go to the body, make him miss with his power shots, make him get tired. You know, uh, frustrate him. You know who could do that but to him? Going blow for blow. I think Demetri Bevo might be able to do that to him. Yeah, but what would Bevo do if he got hit by him? Yeah, that's that's the thing. Canelo, but yeah. Canelo, Canelo's, Canelo's punches and better be at punches is a whole different. That's that's a different weight class. Of course, it's a different man. It's like a child is JD and varsity. You know, yeah. it's different. You get hit in a different level. So I don't know. That would be a different game plan he had to come up with. But I just don't see uh, Joe Smith getting out of six, seven rounds. To be honest with you, uh, enjoy your weekend, brother, and always uh, love listening to your show. Thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate it, man. Have a good one, Luis. So, thank you. All right. Yeah, I mean, listen. I get what Luis is saying. I get what Thad was saying. It's it's almost like if you're Joe Smith, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, which is why I give him tremendous props for even taking this fight because a lot of guys that have just won a world title uh, would just kind of milk it. We've seen a lot of guys do that. But for Smith to be willing to take the fight, um, which I get, I mean, you know, he's going to, it's, it's for un, almost undisputed. Um, it, it's still, it's a, it's a step up. It's a challenge and that he didn't need to do it. I, I like it, but I got to say, man, if he tries to box with Viterbiev, I think he'd get cut up. I agree. He should go to the body. Um, but I think the the best way to fight a bully is to bully him. And Viterbiev fights like a bully. He tries to roll downhill on you. He can box. He does have craft. One of you guys in the chat just mentioned, I think it was Sam. Um, yeah, here's Sam's comment right here. But Terbiev boxes better than most people think. He was slick against Vosdick. I don't know if I call him slick, but he he does have boxing skills. Um, he can box. He does have that amateur pedigree. But he likes to come forward on guys, and he likes to have things his way. Smith is strong enough where at least early, I think he could push Baterbiev back a little bit, get inside on him, where Baterbiev's power isn't going to have the same uh, umph to it and try to smother a little bit and, 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 like Luis said, work the body a little bit and then try to come upstairs a little bit. Just get rough. Try to anyway. I To me, that's Smith's best chance. If he tries to box with this dude, it's not going to go well for him. We saw when uh, Smith tried to box with Beevil, how that went. Now, Viterbia probably isn't quite the boxer Beevil is in certain aspects, but in other aspects, he's actually a better boxer than Beevil. So, all right, back to the phones. 
Uh, we got 201. You're on the show. What's up? Mike, what's going on? It's CJ, bro. How's it going? CJ, man? what's Happy up, man? Birthday. How you doing? Good, good, good. I'm really excited for this fight, man. I had to give up tickets. Uh, I was going to be there, too. But um, I had something pre-planned. I didn't even know my wife dropped it on me. I, I wish it, it's got a great undercard too. With uh, not a lot of people are talking about with Abraham Nova, Robert Ramirez. I like that fight. But um, yeah. oh, that's a beautiful fight. Listen, what, it was a caller a few few calls back. I didn't agree with a lot of stuff he said, but there was something that he did say that I do agree with. I'm a I'm a big better. That's what I do. Boxing bets, and this these odds should be a lot closer than what they have them right now. They got them at a plus 600 for Joe Smith Jr. to win, which to me is crazy because you hit the nail on the head. Your breakdown was beautiful. Everything you said about Joe Smith Jr. and Arthur uh, better be up uh, with the resumes and his uh, and his keys to victory. I think I think it's there for him. I, I do believe it should be closer to, a, to maybe a two to three to one favorite yeah. for better be up, but yeah. this is probably going to be, um, you know, like Joe Smith Jr., like you said, he cannot box this guy. The fight that he lost to Sullivan Barrera and to Dimitri Bivol, he got clearly outboxed. The greatest attribute that Joe Smith Jr. has is that he's a worker. He can outwork you, right? Yep. And his footwork has gotten a lot better as far as cutting off the ring. I've noticed he worked with that and moving his head off the line since his loss to Bivol. But um, when you come to, uh, to better BF, he's going to know this. He's going to have to outwork him. He's going to have to bring the fight to him. Like you said, bully the bully. Because he can exchange with him. He can hold him up. And one thing that's on his side is youth. So whether you bring this fight to the distance, like you said, he's in New York. You know, as a New Yorker, the scorecards with his activity, he could possibly win a decision. No doubt about it. Just off activity alone. And he does have the power like you saw with Callum Johnson, to possibly hurt better be if he's yes. not invincible. You know, you did see him wobble Bivol, you know, at the end of a round. So, and the ways that he's lost, is he's out, been outboxed. So I think this is a lot closer than what everybody's, you know, really thinking about. And as a Irish-American in the New York area that's a union member, I mean, if there's one person that I ride for and root for, it's going to be Joe Smith Jr. But I'm on the fence with a pick still because, you know, you got a guy that has 17 wins with 17 knockouts. So the stats do say it's probably going to be a knockout, but it's not a bad bet to hedge. You know, if if, if you're going to gamble on this, um, yeah. But great, great breakdown. I think this is going to be a really good fight, and I think a lot of people that that know these two fighters know it's a lot closer fight than everyone thinks. Yeah, I agree, man. I think the odds makers have it way too wide. I just do. With all the intangibles that Joe Smith yeah. brings, it, but it, if these guys were like bantamweights, I could understand the wide uh, score or the scorecards, the wide odds. But man, one punch can really change this fight, especially if Smith can get in there early and do some work, or a cut could change the fight, something like that. Uh, so I, yeah, to me again, I favor Beterbiev or better BF, however the hell you say it, but it's. As yeah, you know, stated, I, two to one, three to one, that's reasonable. But some of these odds are just crazy. Crazy. Listen, people bring up people bring up his losses, Joe Smith Jr.'s losses. I said, that's cool. But listen, Bivol, Sullivan Barrera, and even if you want to bring up Glassoff, which could have won anyway, there was a last swing round, they had nothing in common with Viterbia. Yeah. It's a completely different fighting style. And if you know boxing, watch boxing long enough, those styles make fights. That's why you can't do triangle theory. Joe Smith Jr. is going to be, I believe, 
he's got a hell of a chin. We all know he broke his jaw, you know, early in the Sullivan Barrera rounds and finished the fight. That should say enough. But this is going to be one of, uh, better be his hardest test, and this is going to be a real banana peel. So, you know, I'm rooting for him. But, uh, hey, have a happy birthday and enjoy that dinner tonight, all right? Thanks a lot, brother. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Yeah, Mike. Take care. All right. I saw uh, one question I wanted to get to. Um, Women of the Night asks, Mike, are you visiting any gyms in New York? So look, guys, um, where, where would you recommend any of my New York guys here in the chat uh, that I go to? I'm staying in Midtown. I'm staying basically right there at the venue. So I'll, I'll be a, like a couple blocks maybe from MSG. So, I mean, I could get over to to the you know Brooklyn or, or Queens or whatever if I have to, but um, I'm going to be in the city. So where would you guys recommend? Because I was thinking, you know, it might be good to get in the workout Saturday morning uh, before, you know, we, the festivities begin. So if I could, I would like to visit a gym and get a workout in Saturday morning. So any of you guys there in New York, um, you know, if there's a place you'd recommend or something, I, I can even come work out with you. Just, just let me know what's up. All right. Let's get to the next call. I think this is Jack. 317, you're on the show. What's up? Hey, what's up, Mike? I was going to come up here. You've been ducking me for a while and not say happy birthday, but you know I'm a good guy. <laughs> ducking you? How am I That's ducking you? How am I ducking you? What are you talking about? It's a long story, but that's why that's why I said happy birthday, punk. So you were the first. <laughs> right. What I went on Facebook at like happy right birthday, at, uh, twelve a.m. on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, I was like, like, happy birthday, person. punk. That's hilarious. But uh, but um, so sad. Sad's hilarious, dude. Like sad is just like uh, yeah, Mike stuff tarot. Uh, sad was literally just like he's so bad. Or in fact, he's just like uh, because Charlie and Andre, uh, they're trash. You know, they're trash. <laughs> he makes his his opinions known. Yeah, you know his opinions for real. Uh, yeah, no, he's a no, but dude, I agree. I think Joe Smith's gonna win. Um, Arter Baturbiev, his fighting style is not gonna last very long, and he's thirty seven and he ain't no triple G. You know, I've been hearing so much, and you know, I gotta bring up triple G. Yo, Mike, can you believe so many people are saying triple G is gonna get knocked out in like three rounds? Sean Porter, and I fucking hate Sean Porter now because of this piece of shit. He's such a hater. He's like, I'm not going to watch that fight. He's like, I'm not going to watch that fight. I'm not going to watch it. It's just going to be a brutal beating. And I'm like, dude, shut the fuck up. You don't, he's going to watch the damn fight. Just like everybody else. He's going to watch it. Of course he's going to watch it. And I sent you a clip on Twitter of Bibble's trainer saying it was a 50-50 fight. You saw that, right? No. Dude, I've been so busy the last few days. I, I haven't checked any of my messages, nothing. So... No, I mean you liked the tweet, so I thought you I thought you saw it, but um Okay. Whatchamacallit. Yeah, so he was saying it's a fifty fifty fight and dude, the more I'm thinking about it, you know how good it is that Triple G is gonna gonna go to sixty eight after fighting one sixty so career? That's just gonna be a huge advantage. And we'll we'll talk about this more over time because, you know, uh we have like three months and I know you're busy. And I was going to say some like Patrick Bateman stuff. You're like, because you have a reservation. Uh, <laughs> I have to return some videotapes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did Paul Allen let you get a reservation? To <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, great movie. Yeah, no, but uh, which, which was called. So, yeah, uh, Better Be Of, Joe Smith. Dude, Better Be Of, I've always felt he's overrated. I thought Joe Smith lost the last off. But when they trade, Joe Smith has such a strong chin. And, dude, I'm confident in this. I wouldn't say I'm like, Usyk, 
um, who's the Joshua or Canelo Bibble confident, but dude, I'm pretty confident in this. I, I think, in a, almost exactly like that said, knockout in the fifth round. I think better be is getting old. I think Joe Smith is in his prime. He has a really good chin. He uh, just punches really hard. And dude, I'm telling you, Mike, you'll be. Uh, I'm gonna win a lot of money this weekend. All right. and, uh, it's gonna be good to see better be. I don't. I don't like him, dude. He's dirty. I think he's a dirty fighter. Mm. I think he fights really dirty, and I think he's, a, he's extremely overrated. And I, I want to see my boy Joe Smith put him to sleep. Oh yeah, one more thing, uh, Trey. Uh, I was saying to Trey, he, the, you know, the first thing he said to me was when I said in the chat, I think Joe Smith wins. He says, weird how you're not taking the Eastern European for once. And then I was like, uh, I mean, he's a white American, bro. Come on. And then he said, he's in construction, <laughs> but a tree cutter. So I hate him. And I was like, why do you hate tree cutters? And he was saying, you'll understand when you get a house. <laughs> I was like, okay. I don't get so, that. Uh, that yeah. goes over my head. I don't know. I don't know, man. But hey, uh, I'm about to eat dinner and have a good reservation at Dorothea with Kip. And <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, take it easy, brother. All right. Thanks, Jack. Peace. All right. There he goes. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Rolls Rod says, I like me some Long Island Joe, but damn, man, he's getting knocked the F out. He's fighting a F and T2. Drop the Terminator reference. Now, look, T2, that's like old now. It, it, there's like 800 Terminator movies. I don't even know what the latest model is, but T2 would be outdated now, wouldn't it? Uh, Aaron with the super chat. Thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate it, brother. Hope everything's going well over there on the other side of the earth is it already tomorrow yet for you guys he says yo mike thanks for reminding me how lucky i am lol do you think we will get to see midweek fights in the u.s for major bouts anytime soon like we do here uh regarding japan like uh in a way in donaire you know i would love to see that more and, and it's something i've actually talked about in the past i guess i haven't in a while but i i think it would be a really smart idea for one of these promotions to start to bring back like Tuesday night fights, Wednesday night fights, something like that. And who's the, uh, I can't think of the promotion. There was one that did it a couple times here recently. Um, they had a fight in Puerto Rico. I think it was, I can't think of the promotion off the top of my head. It's a small promotion. I think um, Amanda Serrano fought on that once. I think she fought in Puerto Rico on it. Anyway, it might have been a Tuesday or Wednesday night or something. I think that would be great. I would love to see that because if you think about it, here in the United States, during football season, Sunday is football, right? And then even Saturday mornings is college football into Saturday night. You're competing with so many different sports and everything like that. And boxing on Saturday night makes sense, particularly late Saturday night, late Friday. But man, you ain't. Go- There's nothing to go up against Tuesday through Thursday. There's really nothing. So if a, a promotion started to put on regular events on like t- every Tuesday night, you knew you were going to get a fight card, and it was high level stuff. I think it'd do well. I really do. But so far, they don't agree with me. All right, <clears throat> let's uh, let's jump to the phones one more time. We're gonna go to, out to LA, my old stopping grounds. Two one three. I think this was Tony. Yeah, on the show. What's up? What's going on, Mike? Happy birthday! Thank you so much. Quick question: Are the rumors true that I hear that Sarah's fighting Ennis? Who's fighting Ennis? Thurman. 
Keith Thurman. Oh yeah, I I heard about that. I I haven't heard anything official. I've seen people talking about that. I okay. highly highly doubt it. It's just rumors. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt it as well. I didn't believe it when I heard it. Uh, for the anyway situation, uh, it looks like he's going to be fighting Maloney, and then Paul Butler is an interim champion, so he's fighting Casemiro because. I guess he lost a belt in Asana in the in England, I think. Oh yeah, uh, Casemiro. I mean, that's <laughs> I interesting. Um, so what? Butler's fighting Casemiro. He's a mandatory, and now he's back at number one mandatory because he had that drama. And I guess Casemiro might want to make an issue that he's a mandatory, and that's the interim belt that he lost. And then, well, it looks like he might hold things up. You know, he can't technically. I don't know. I mean, if he lost it, if he couldn't weigh in, I, I guess that there was some medical issue. Maybe it was in England. <laughs> it was in England because he used the sauna way past the time that you can use the sauna. That's, I think that's what the thing was. And then he got stripped of the belt and then he fought. Butler fought an interim, a uh, different guy for the interim belt. And then he got bumped And up. then yeah. it was a, yeah, and then now it was vacant, the mandatory for a while, but right now if the rankings are right, Casemiro's back at number one, and he has a mandatory with Butler. So, and Jason Maloney is number one right now for the WBC belt, and I know Top Rank wants to make that in-house, right? For sure, right? I think, well, he already, Even though he he already actually, fought Maloney. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, and beat him up, but Maloney wants the rematch. Yeah. <laughs> that win has aged well for in a way, because Maloney has fought pretty well since that loss, but I don't need to see that damn fight again. I will I you know, honestly, I'd like to see of all those fighters, I'd like to see Inouye versus Casimero. That's what I'd like, like to see him in there against the most. But as far as the WBA ruling goes, um it, it, I think if Casemiro is the mandatory for Butler, Butler would have a whole year. I don't see why he couldn't fight in a way later this year in England. And then uh, the winner maybe would, would have to would face. Would anyone want it? Would anyone want an interim belt right now, though? Or I, I don't think it's the interim, bro. I, I I think they bumped him up. I'm pretty sure. You mean they, they emailed him, basically. That's what you're saying. Yes. Right? Not to use that term. Yes. They, they okay. handed him the belt. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think. Well, I mean, the promotional headaches with that one and the promotional headaches, I mean, he might as well move up to go fight Fulton or Akla Dalaya. Those fights are not going to happen anytime soon. As much as I think Fulton would want it, in a way, the PBC won't do it. So, the PBC is not going to let that fight happen anytime soon. So, if I'm in a way, I'm but staying at 182 have to do well wouldn't um butler have to be through the zone negotiations as well um between top rank and the zone well uh in a way it just fought donair on uh espn but he fought on the zone in the first donair fight i do believe I might be wrong about okay. that, but I okay. thought it was on the zone. So Top Rank will play ball with that, and and ultimately they'll figure that out. I think that the best thing for them to do right now is to try to get undisputed for Inoue. 
go for the undisputed. It's yeah. an easy win. They could. I, I, I'm not trying to disrespect Paul Butler, but he's as far as I know, they elevated him to full champ. So in a way, he could go over there to England. He could build his brand in England, get in front of the British fans. That's the biggest, most important market in boxing right now globally. And uh, it just makes oh, sense. Yeah, I know. Around, you know. But he did an interview, I'm going to warn you right now, where he said he wants to end a fight for sure, and then he's going to retire. <laughs> I'm just warning you. Who said that? Um, Paul Butler. Oh, wow. Well, he's going to get his payday. He's going to get paid well for that fight. So. <laughs> That's sure. what he's saying, basically. So, you know, do whatever. The only problem I see, and the only reason I want Inouye to move up is, his brother's in the same division as him, so he, he has incentive to do that. Yeah. And if he has connections in the zone, he can get the Akhmedalev fight before Fulton, probably. And it'll open up that division for Estrada, Chocolatito, or Rungusai. I like all of that. I like all of that. But <laughs> I'm just telling you the way it's probably going to play I, out. I don't know. Just trust me. There's only so much I can say on the record, but if I were a betting man... You're probably going to see in a way in Butler later this year. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, once again, uh, have fun at dinner, and I'll talk to you next time. All right, thanks a lot, thanks man. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, Chris in the chat uh, confirming my, uh, my statement that Butler is the full WBO champ. Yeah, so, and you guys got to remember, what's the WBO stand for? We're Bob's organization. So, again, there's only so much I can say here on the record. Just trust me when I say you're probably going to get Inouye Butler later this year, okay? Uh, Adrian says, happy birthday, Mike. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. You guys, the birthday wishes. Thank you so much. I think we're going to wrap this thing up. It's been a great show, man. We got some great freaking calls. And um, I will try to do a show Friday. Okay, I will try to do a show, but we're not going to be able to take calls because I'll be in the hotel or something. I'll probably just do a show on the phone. We'll just do it that way. All right. Just old school style. I'll just go live on my YouTube and talk into my phone. Uh, maybe we can do something like that. It could be fun. All right. So, um, yeah, we'll do that if we can. If not, I will give you guys a report from ringside Saturday at MSG. And of course, we'll be back here next week to chop it all up. All right, guys, have a great week. Thank you again for the birthday wishes. I'll see you at the fights.